this is twice, that, and then that. That's the first time we do the verse. No, that's the first time we do the verse. The second verse is that, that, and then that's where there's a number two. The last line is this one for the second verse. Got it? And then... Good afternoon, Metro Praise International. How's everybody feeling this afternoon? Yes, I said, how's everybody feeling this afternoon? There we go. Yes, let's get excited. Let's get excited in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Wow, thank you guys for joining us this afternoon. Uh, it looks empty, but I'm sure people are on their way. <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, I'm Pastor Tony. I'm one of the campus pastors here at Metro Praise International. Uh, if you're here for the first time, thank you for making us your home church. And uh, we love you guys. I wish that section would just instantly fill up right now. <laughs> but anyways. Oh, you guys are already standing. Awesome. Now, before we begin, I'd like to call up my brother Isaiah to come up. And uh, yes. And you know how we do. We, we, we like to give glory to God for things that he's done in his life. And so he's going to share a testimony of what God's been doing in his life. So again, give a warm welcome to Isaiah as he comes to share. Yeah, um, I've been following Jesus for uh, about a year now. And um, the last time I was up here, I was talking about rejoicing, even through the midst of not seeing my family saved. That's just something on my heart, you know. And um, um, I got a bird. They reply, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So I believe that, you know, since I'm saved now and I have the passion for God and the gospel is so powerful and it changed my life and it can change uh, my family's life and it can change my, my, the people I work with. So that's just, I just want to bear fruits. And uh, my sister, my little sister, she's saved now and she's living for Jesus. So, so uh, I'm so happy about that, just seeing her going for Jesus with me and we're just doing life together and just amazing and just so much joy and um, soon my whole family will be here and uh, I believe and no matter what you know in Jesus so I'm gonna just pray 
Uh, Lord God, I just pray, Lord God, for um, people to be saved, Lord God, through you, Lord Jesus. Only you can save, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that your love, Lord God, would just be exposed to the, the lost, Lord God, that they would return back to you, Lord God, and that they uh, realize that they're, they're a child of God, Lord God, that they, they were created by you, Lord God. I just pray for fruits this season, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that um, just more disciples, Lord God, in Chicago, Lord God. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. it up hallelujah come on i want to do something different i want to invite you guys to come up to the front this is family time we're going to sing a song and it's going to get real interactive and deep so come on make your way up to the altar come on we're going to have a good time here in the house of god come on make your way up grab your neighbor come on let's come up come on deep cries out
ready for this part? Come on, look to your neighbor and say, come on, are you ready? Come on, you're ready. He goes. If he goes to the left, then we go to the left. If he goes to the right, then we go to the right. We're going to jump, 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 jump in the river. Jump, 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 jump. Everybody, if he goes, go to the left. And if he goes to the right, then we go to We're going to dance.
that you make me brave to come and there's scripture that says man we can come into the throne we can come to the throne of God with confidence so today you can be confident that as you close your eyes with me and as you lift your hands with me and as you sing these songs from your heart in a new way that you can be confident to know that God is meeting with you here thank you Jesus hallelujah hallelujah Jesus
you made the way for me to come close. Come on, he died, he was buried, and he rose again so that you can come close. Come on, right now, where you are standing, where you're sitting, can you just tell him, say, God, I choose to come close to you. I'm going to be brave, God. I mean, this might be new for me. Man, I might be a far for you for a while, but God, I'm going to be brave today and come near you, Jesus. We're coming near to you.
because we have the holy living God living inside of us, God. And I just pray, Lord, that you would just fill me up with a new boldness that is just, that sets this world on fire, that sets our family, my family on fire, God. And I, w I wouldn't be afraid of anything, God, because you have not given me a fear, a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind, Jesus. And I thank you, God, in Jesus' mighty name. challenge one more person. Come on, Lord. And you'll be next. Hallelujah, Jesus. Your word says that you are consuming fire, God. Your word says that you burn away the dross in our hearts, God. And I ask you, Lord, that you would burn deep inside of us today. Oh, God, that the world would see us burning for you everywhere we go, oh, God. I pray that your fire would be felt within the inside of each individual in this room, God. We want more. We haven't had enough, oh God. We want more of you. We want more of you. We want more of you, Jesus. Jesus, you are Lord, Jesus. Lord, let us use us, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. Let us spread the kingdom, Lord. Use, our, use the disciples, Lord, in the schools, Lord, that they teach this false doctrine, Lord. Use the disciples, Lord, that they may change the generation of the youth, Lord. Use, Lord, use us at our jobs, Lord. Help us be bold, Lord. Help us be bold in our colleges, Lord. Help us be bold in our families, Lord. Let us do the work, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. Through you, Lord, it is only possible, Lord. Through your Holy Spirit, it is only possible, Lord. Fill us with your Spirit, Lord, wherever we go. Fill us with a burning passion for the lost. Fill us with a burning passion of love for our neighbor, Lord. That we can connect wherever we go, Lord. Wherever we go. to our God, that we're going to be set on fire to win Chicago for Jesus. Come on, let this be your heart's prayer.
your presence in our lives. And we thank you that your word can burn like a fire in our bones, oh God. Let us be weary of holding it in. Indeed, we cannot set us ablaze for the gospel in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. We serve a great, great God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You can make your way back to your seat. powerful time of worship in God's presence. We worship a God who is alive. Amen. God is good all the time and all the time God is good. Welcome everybody to Metro Praise. I'm going to preach the gospel to you this afternoon. This message is for those of you who are not right with God. You have not been born again. You have never surrendered your life over to the Lord and have fully fully turned from your ways to live for him. I'm going to read from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. This is good. And that portion right there is referring to the few previous verses before where it was telling us, Apostle Paul was telling Timothy to pray for everybody, to make requests and prayers and supplication for everybody. So who are we supposed to pray for? Everybody. Because this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Somebody say knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. Somebody say, now is the time. Now is the time for salvation. Today is the day for you to get right with God. God our Savior, the God of heaven and earth, desires no one to perish, but all to be saved, for all to come to the knowledge of the truth. If you are not walking with Jesus today, if you have not been born again, you are not in the truth, you are in a lie. You are living a lie, you have the knowledge of a lie, and the only way for that to be exposed in your life and for you to see the truth of the gospel is for you to come to Jesus and let his blood wash you clean. And then it goes further to say that there's only one mediator, one person who could stand in the gap for us between us and God the Father, and that's Jesus, because he paid our ransom. A ransom is something that you have to pay in order to get something back. And we were created perfect in the Garden of Eden, but that contract was broken because of Adam and Eve's sin. Now we have a mediator, somebody that comes in between us to, to plead our case before the Father. And it's because he died on the cross, rose again, and said, I took their place. I paid the price they couldn't pay. So if you are not right with God today, you must come to Jesus to be saved. Because you will only find yourself in one of two places at the end of this life. When this life ends, there is eternity, my friends. And it's either going to be eternity in heaven with Jesus forever or eternity in hell. And you cannot be in eternity forever with Jesus if you didn't want to be with Jesus here on earth. There is no way to get in. So with all eyes closed all across this room, you know if you're not right with God. There is no manipulating. There is no convincing you. You know whether you want to follow God's commands or not. And I plead with you this morning, choose life. Choose Jesus. Now is the time. Today is the day to be saved. So when I begin to pray, I want you to pray to Jesus and say, God, I want to be right with you. And during the fellowship time, we're going to have some prayer workers up here. 
that you could come to for prayer. Lord, I thank you for every single person in this room today that could come and hear the gospel message of salvation, the good news, the gospel news that Jesus came to save us. And Lord, I pray for every single person in this room who is not right with you, that today they would get it right and be born again. Because only you can make our spirit clean. Only you can give us new life, new birth. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Please stand up to your feet with me. Again, I want to encourage you to come and receive prayer from our prayer workers. They're going to come up here in just a few moments. Brian and Carol, they will love to pray with you. If you want to get your life right with God and become a part of our discipleship here at the church, we would love to be there for you. At this time, we're going to confess our confession of faith. This is our Christian worldview. This is the lens in which we see the world around us, and it's all based on Scripture. We're not the only ones that believe it. It's not an MPI thing. It's a Christian thing. It's all, Our Christian brothers and sisters all around the world are standing on this Christian worldview. Are you guys ready to join them? in this confession on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Spend some time fellowshipping. Give somebody a handshake or a hug. Salvation sounds a new beginning. As distant hearts begin believing. Redemption's big.
church. Come on, second service. We love seeing you guys come and be faithful and fill up the place. Welcome to Metro Praise International. Thank you so much for joining us. We have services every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. And this is our family service as well. So we have King's Kids in the back for our children, infant to 11 years old. And then we have Elevate Fridays every week at 7 p.m. That's our Elevate Youth Service for students 11 to 18 years old. So if you're in the age group, come on by. If you haven't visited already, if you know anybody in that age group, you got to invite them. This is a place to be on Friday nights for teenagers. At MPI, we have a vision, a strategy, and a goal. Somebody say vision. Our vision is loving God, loving people, the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave to us by which we must live our life. How many of you guys love loving God and loving people? Come on. And then we have a strategy. We want to connect you, we want to mentor you, and we want to send you out. We want to connect you to the church, connect you to Jesus through our life groups. We're very passionate about our life groups, very thankful for all the leaders that take their time to pour into you. Then we want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. Uh, we take mentorship very seriously, and we're just so excited about all that God is doing. Gentlemen, you could go to the previous slide, please. And then we want to send you out to do evangelism. How do you guys love preaching the gospel to people that don't know about Jesus? Come on. And then our goal is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. Isn't that exciting? So somebody say connect. We want to connect you to our life groups. Here's a snapshot of the life groups that we have coming up for this week. As we're going to flip the screen for me, you can look at your handouts and check out the schedule for this quarter. Find a place to connect. There are so many different kinds of life groups that we have that meet at different times and locations. And we just really want you guys to find a place to belong with your family. This is what's happening this week for our life group schedule. Today we're kicking it off with our single moms. They're meeting today at 5.30. They have child care provided at every time they meet. So if you know any single moms in your life, invite them to be at that life group. Wednesday we have our King's Kids, infant to 11 years old, every week here at the church at 6.30. Thursdays are gang outreach. You have to be 18 years and up to join them. They're doing an awesome job preaching the gospel on the streets, winning, um, you know, gang bangers to the Lord. How many of you guys know that Chicago needs Jesus, especially in the area of our gangs? They need Jesus. And so they're preaching the gospel to them. And then every Friday we have two adult Bible studies. One is at the Goveas. The other one is at the Vivid's house. 18 years and up, 7 p.m. Be there. If you're an adult, you got to be at these adult life groups. You will get life from these life groups, fellowship, getting into the word, and just being around the church of Jesus Christ throughout the week is so refreshing. And then Saturday, the Ambassadors Youth Life Group, 11 to 18 years old, meeting at 1 p.m. Ambassadors here? I guess not. They were in the first service, though. Then we want to mention you. Look to your neighbor and say, get mentored. We have the 101 and the 201 book. The 101 book is called Welcome to Your New Life. We have leaders ready to take you through that book one-on-one -on -one to really see you grow in your walk with the Lord. And then when you graduate 101, you'll get into the 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples, where we train you to be a leader in the church. And then we want to send you out to do evangelism. And we have evangelism every Saturday from 5 to 8. If you've never done it, I encourage you to do it. Join people that have been doing it for a long time, people that have just started doing it. You will be greatly, greatly encouraged. And um, as they turn the slide to the evangelism, uh, announcements we want you to know that that's a place for you to be if you've never done it you will grow you will grow in your ability to preach the gospel you'll grow in the ability to answer people's questions the bible says to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have and so we must go out and win souls so in recap mpi has a vision a strategy and a goal a vision of loving god loving people 
strategy of connect, mentor, and send, and a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. Let me get a hallelujah. Come on. Who's excited to give their tithes and offerings? Such an honor that we get to partner with the Lord. As you're going to learn, we get to partner with him to expand his kingdom on the earth. Again, a tithe is 10% of our total income given to the church regularly. And we designate offerings towards missions and building. And an offering is an amount between you and the Lord. That is something you want to hear him speak to you of what he wants you to give. So it's after the tithe. Somebody say after the tithe. And that's what we're going to be learning today. We're in section two. So we're done with section one. It's awesome that we get to go through this whole book um, one week out of for every year. I mean, for ev- one week out of the year, we get to have a lesson on tithes and offerings. So lesson uh, section two is all about giving offerings. So we're in lesson one today. Offerings come after the tithe. And that is what an offering is, a gift to God after our tithes. So we're going to be reading in Malachi 3.8. You guys can follow along on the screen or turn in your Bibles, Malachi 3.8. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. Doesn't get any more simple than that, right? We've learned that probably in section 1 a couple times with this passage of scripture. Let's read the three main points. Number one, Jewish offerings. God gave the Jewish people many different ways to give offerings for various reasons, but they never replaced the tithe. Leviticus 1 through 4. The offerings were always considered something above and extra from the tithe. Say extra from the tithe. Two, offerings for the Christian. Today's Christians should be faithful to give their tithe and seek God for wisdom in giving their offerings to advance the kingdom of God upon the earth. And that's the powerful part. We get to be co-laborers with the Lord, get to partner with him to advance the kingdom of God on this earth through our finances. That is such an honor. And number three, not giving offerings is also considered robbing God. Just like how not giving the whole tithe is considered robbing God, the same is true with not giving your offerings. Though the Bible does not give you a set amount to give in offerings, you are to be mature enough in prayer to be led by God to give what he puts on your heart. Somebody say a cheerful giver. Here's a summary. Offerings are extra gifts given to God that are to be taken serious and should be given joyfully. Here's the application. Number one, be a faithful tither. Number two, pray and seek God for what to give in offerings. And number three, be faithful in giving your offerings to God. How many of you guys want to be faithful today? Come on. I'm sure many of you guys are faithful. We give it as an act of worship unto our Lord, knowing that we are partners with him on this earth. If that is you today, let's confess this over our life. This is a new confession for uh, the 14 weeks that we have to be in section two. So on the count of three, let's say it together. One, two, three. The offering is a gift to God after the tithe and is given in a variety of ways. God said it should be a generous seed given with a cheerful heart from personal sacrifice. Offerings will always bring thanksgiving to God because they go towards charity and ministry supplies. We give offerings in obedience to God's word, sharing with others our blessing with a gracious heart by imitating Jesus and revealing where our treasure really is. Please stand up to your feet with me this afternoon as we prepare to give the Lord our tithe and offering. Again, MPI believes that a tithe is 10% of our total income given to the church regularly. We designate our offerings towards missions, projects throughout the year, as well as the building fund that we are currently in. And if you want to, you know, indicate the exact amount in the envelope, that's always encouraged as well. 
Here are four ways that you could give at MPI. Number one, in the bucket during the offering. Number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes. Number three, in the back with a creditor debit card. And four, you could go online and use QuickPay, PayPal, BillPay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. And um, I want to give you guys this update. We have the new band equipment uh, fund that we're in. You guys have done an amazing job. I think I gave the update last week. But if you haven't joined us on this journey yet, pray, ask God what you should give, listen to the Holy Spirit, hear what he has to say. And number three, give generously. Let's pray. Oh, let's recite this verse together. Philippians 4.18, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And it, b- before I pray, I'm going to ask the ushers to please bring up the buckets. We're going to pray at this time. You guys can bow your heads. Lord, I just thank you for this time that we get to honor you and worship you by giving you our tithe and offerings. We thank you, Lord, for your provision in our lives, and we believe, God that you will meet all our needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I thank you for your goodness to us, your faithfulness to us. And, Lord, we will, in turn, be faithful to you, Lord. We thank you for the provision, for your blessing that you give us on a job, the promotions, the raises. For those that are looking for employment, God, I pray that you open those doors and that we would be faithful to give the tithe and the offering as you impress in our heart to give cheerfully with a a joyful heart. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. Thank you guys so much. Please come forward as you give and thank you for your generosity. How many ready to grow up? Can I hear a what, what? Come on, y'all ready to grow up? Open your Bibles with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. We are going to grow up. So if you're ready to grow up, one more time. Can I hear a what, what? Come on. Let's do it. We are in this awesome sermon series for the month of April, and God has been showing up already. I hope that you guys have been enjoying it. And now we're going to learn a lot more about it today. So today we're going to learn the details of growing. And today's spiritual growth message is growing is knowing and showing. So everybody say growing is knowing and showing. Okay, I want you to remember that. When we're growing, we're going to know and we're going to show. So let's open up our Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 is our series text for the whole series 
So if you were here last week, you heard it. And we're going to go through it all again today and each time we hear this message. And I may preach this uh, sermon series all the way through to the summer, so you don't know. But how many would like to have a spring before we have a summer? Would anybody like to see the sun again? Now, it was kind of funny because, you know, over the weekend we did get a little sun, but it was like 30 degrees. And so I had like a little dilemma on my hands. I wanted to go kayaking, and it was like it's 30 degrees, and you go kayaking on water, and water is going to be freezing. But it's sunny. It's sunny. So I was like, sunny, freezing, sunny, freezing. And then finally I go, you know what, i got to get out there on the water. And it wasn't so bad. Anybody go out Saturday, yesterday, do anything fun? Anybody? No, I guess I was the only one. Okay, you guys did. It's wonderful if you can get under that sun. And the wind wasn't too bad, and I felt good. And I braved the mighty, the mighty Fox River, and it was fun. But I am wanting a spring. Now, here's my definition of spring, having lived in Chicago now almost 12 years. Here would be my definition of spring. Okay, sunny. It has to be sunny. It has to be over 50 degrees, and it has to stay sunny for at least four days. Four days in a row. So if it was sunny for four days in a row, over 50 degrees and sunny, it would be like spring. Does anybody else think that would be spring? I think it would be spring. So it's like, Lord, send us a spring. Send us a spring. Now, those of you who have lived in other cultures, we have somebody from Miami. I used to live in New Orleans. Like right about now, it's getting hot already. So, you know, I don't know where we should be if we could complain because, you know, it stays warm in in the Florida, uh, you know, New Orleans area for a little bit in April and then May. And then by June, it's like you're sizzling, you know. But some people would rather have that than our snow. But then around Christmas, you're like, it doesn't feel like Christmas because I lived in New Orleans. Around Christmas, I had my air conditioning on, and that doesn't feel like Christmas. So you got to make your trades. But once again, how many, how many feel like asking for a spring is not asking for too much? Okay, so, Lord, you hear our prayers. We want a spring. Now, when you think about spring, you're supposed to be thinking about stuff growing and not snowing. It's supposed to be growing and not snowing. So I want you to pretend that right now we're having a normal spring and stuff is starting to grow while we're thinking about growing because you and I should be growing. So as your garden starts to grow, as something in your life, like maybe, uh, you know, you're starting to plant something in your, your home like um, flowers or a garden. Does anybody do any of that stuff here? I'm just wondering. One person, Nancy, you're the one I'm talking to. You want to see the growth happen. And I want you to see spiritual growth in your life. So let's look at First Peter. If you're there in chapter 1, say, I'm there. Mm, I wanted to hear more of it, I'm there. Come on, if you're there, say, I'm there. there. Yes. Okay, we're ready. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's take this in chunks here. Who is writing us this letter? Peter, okay, so he's a pretty awesome man. But look at what he considers himself. He considers himself a servant. He doesn't say he's a pope or a pimp. He doesn't say that he's in charge of everybody. He simply says, I'm a servant, so I'm here to serve. That's what all pastors and leaders should do. And then he says, I'm an apostle. Now, there were many apostles. There was 12 of them. And then there became other apostles like Paul. And you can see that as you read the Bible. Paul says, I'm an apostle. And as a matter of fact, this language of saying you're a servant and an apostle is quite popular in the 
the Bible for our leaders. And you see in Romans chapter 1, Paul says the same thing. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. Seems like a common theme, right? Well, Peter is that same way. And so there's uh, servants and there's apostles. All of us are called to be servants, and some of us may be called to be an apostle. And what an apostle is, is someone who starts a church. And it's not just the 12 apostles that started churches, others. And that's why I showed you Paul also was a part of that. And then there were uh, a bunch of others. And if you see, like Romans uh, 16 at the end, there is a bunch of uh, them now that are starting churches. And one of them is a husband and wife couple right here. And it says, uh, greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before us. So there started to be other apostles, other church planters as the church went on. Another thing that you'll notice in this passage is that Peter says that we as Christians have received a faith as precious as ours. Or he is saying you have received a, a faith as precious as his. And the ours, plural there, are of the apostles, are of the original disciples. So there might have been a time where some people were going, man, I wish I was one of the original 12 hanging out with Jesus. I would have so much more faith right now. And Peter is going, no, no, if you have faith in Jesus, it's because Jesus gave you faith to trust in him, and your faith is as precious or as valuable as our faith, as Matthew, as John, as all the rest of us. And so sometimes we think like they're really like well beyond us, like they're so far beyond us, we can never be like them. And Peter is actually saying the opposite. He's saying if you have faith, it's because God gave it to you, and it's just like ours. And look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, or just follow along because i got a bunch of scriptures to go through today. Follow along up here. It says, Paul's talking here, and he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the what? The gift of God. So is faith from ourselves, or is it a gift of God? See, it's a gift of God. Now, how do we get faith? Because some people say, man, I don't have any faith. I don't have any faith. How does Jesus give us faith? Well, you look to the Bible in Romans 10, 17, Paul speaking again here. He says, consequently, faith comes from what? Hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ or about Christ. So how do we get faith? We get faith by hearing the word of God. Thank you. Now, go back to that passage. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. So how did we receive it? We heard it. Uh, we received it when we heard the word of God and chose to believe it. Now free will is a choice. When you hear the word of God, you have a choice to whether or not you believe it. He's not going to force faith down your throat and say, take it. No, God's not like that. He's going to have his word come forth. It's going to be preached by others, by people around you, or you may find a Bible somewhere and just read it for yourself. At that point, as you're hearing the stories of Scripture, you have a choice whether or not to believe it. In the New Testament times, when the Bible was actually being written, these men were speaking the word of God, and the people had the choice to believe it or not. If they said, man, Peter, I believe you actually walked on the water with Jesus, and Jesus was crucified, buried, and rose again from the dead. Peter, I believe that. When, when they would choose to believe the story, the testimony of Peter, they would receive faith. And then Peter saying to them, if you believed what I said, you now have the gift of faith, just like I got the gift of faith when I believed what Jesus said. Remember in uh, Matthew chapter 16, when Peter was told, uh, when, they, when Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? 
And uh, they said, well, men think you're some person raised from the dead or, uh, or a, a reincarnation, rather, of Elijah. See, look, they, 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 Jesus said, uh, who do people say the Son of Man is? Some people say John the Baptist, is, others say Elijah, and still Jeremiah of one of the prophets. And these were men who have already died, by the way. So they're like, well, we believe in reincarnation, and you might be one of them, or a zombie walking around, right? Now watch this. He said, but what do you say about me? Who do you say that I am? And then Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Does everybody see that? So the moment Peter chose to believe in who Jesus was, the moment he chose to, uh, to do that, he became a man of faith. He was living by faith and not by sight. And so what we do when we believe in Jesus, we become people of faith, not by sight. Can I hear an amen? And then our faith is considered to be as precious as the faith of Peter. Now, the next thing that you see is that grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and our Savior, our knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So grace and peace is what we all need. We need grace for the forgiveness of our sins, and we need peace in our hearts. And gentlemen, that program was giving me a little bit of trouble, and so let me see if I can close it, and then you guys reopen it for me right now, okay? Now, let's keep reading in our Bibles. It's not going to be up on the karaoke screen because they're going to um, open that for me. Go back into your Bibles. I'm going to look on my phone another piece of technology that hopefully won't break. Go to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. This is where it's good to have a Bible. Can I hear an amen? You can't always trust what the preachers say. Maybe I put up on the karaoke screen and take your pastor out for dinner. Are you going to believe that? I might want to try that. Just say, hey, thus says the Lord, take your pastor out for dinner at Fogo de Chao after service. Anyways, oh, there it is. It's working. Okay, thank you. Now, where's my sermon at? There's that sermon at. Okay, it's up here. Now, look at, keep reading. Verse 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, I want you to notice there's two things that say through these. Now, watch. Up here it says, through our knowledge of him, he has called us by, our own, by his own glory and goodness. So I want you to see that. And then the other one, it says, now, through these. So watch how it works here. When we put our trust in Jesus and know him, he then shows off his glory and goodness. His glory and goodness then gives us great and precious promises. And then the third thing, through those great and precious promises, we get to escape the world and participate in the divine nature. So watch the three throughs. Everybody say three. <laughs> I messed up. <laughs> Some of you tried to imitate my mess up right there. Say through and three. Watch. Through our knowledge through his glory and goodness, and through his great and precious promises. Do you guys get it? Now watch the train of thought. Through our knowledge of him, we experience his glory and goodness. Through his glory and goodness, we get to experience his great and precious promises. Through his great and precious promises, we get to participate in the divine nature. Boom, mic drop. That's called working your word right there. The word works every time. You just got to learn how to work it. His divine power comes through those three throughs. Follow it again. His divine power has given us everything we need for a life, for a godly life, 
Now watch, through our knowledge of him. So if I want to participate in the divine power of God and have a godly life, the first thing that I need to do is have knowledge of him. And we're going to call that faith. Then as I get to know him, I get to see, man, he is glorious and he is good. He shines brighter than the sun. He comes into my heart, turns on the lights. He pours out his love on me. He's always good to me. Wow, that's what I get to experience. And then through those good and glorious things, he now gives me great and precious promises, which is like, man, this is only be the beginning. Heaven is up there. I'm going to be coming down to earth one day. And now because I get those great and precious promises, I get to now experience them even here in this world by participating in the divine nature. So think of it like this. When you were born as a child of your parents, you were born naughty in nature. You were born as a sinner. It was an inward desire of yours to sin. Okay, now let me just switch these around real quick so I can go back to my little Bible dance. I always like to get these things dancing around. Now look at Ephesians. You guys have seen it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and the ways you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is at now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. That was the flesh that we got from our mom and dad. Just look at it right here in John chapter 3. We may be referencing this a little bit, so it would be good for me to have it here. You know, Jesus talked about being born again, and some people think that's reincarnation. No, you only get one chance in this life to be born again, and that's in your spirit. And the way Jesus broke that down is he said, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to what? Spirit. So before you were born again, because of your sinful flesh, you were under the spirit of the age or the ruler of the air. You used to live this way, and the spirit who is now at work in the sinners was at work in you. That's who you were, and you lived among them at one time, gratifying the desires of your flesh, following its desires and thoughts, like the rest were by nature deserving of wrath. So what I like to call this nature, naughty by nature. Now remember this, what Peter is saying is that because of God's great power, through your knowledge of him, through his own glory and goodness, and through those great and precious promises, what do you get to participate in? A naughty nature or a divine nature? So you were born naughty by nature, but born again in the divine nature. You were born naughty by nature, born again in the divine nature. Now, now does that mean we all get to become God? No. What it means is we, we get to become godly. Godly. You remember I said, remember this word up here, the godly life? This godly life can only be godly if you participate with God in his life. You can no more make yourself a Christian than you can make yourself a chicken, balk, and lay an egg right now. You can no more make yourself godly than you can make yourself an eagle and fly out of this room. By nature, you are deserving of wrath. Your fleshly desires are carnal and, and, and evil and wicked, and they are against God. You are a sinner, and you live under the power of this world and the influence of this age. And all of us used to be like that, and how we were considered is dead in our sin. Now, if you have not been born again, anybody here not born again, you are still dead in your sins, and the penalty of your death will be eternity in hell. Some people don't think Jesus talked about hell. Jesus talked about hell all the time, but he loved you too much to let you go to hell. Does anybody here want to tell somebody to go to hell? 
Well, we say it in, in jest or in anger sometimes, go to hell. But do you really want people to go there? No, you shouldn't tell people to go to hell, right? Tell them to go to heaven. If you're that angry with them, tell them to change and go to heaven. Stop living like you're in hell and now go to heaven. Get Learn a lesson and come back down to earth and change or something. Because God said, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So I don't want hell on earth, I want heaven on earth, amen? Now watch this. Jesus said in John 3, 16 and onward, you know, he said, uh, whoever does not believe in him, talking about himself, is not condemned. Uh, excuse me, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe can stands condemned what? Already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So Jesus talked about that, and that's very clear to understand. So now, does everybody get this? You are given everything you need for a divine life. You can choose that today if you have faith. Let's keep going through the passage. Now, because of this reason, it's important to understand what Peter is saying here. Because of the things we've just talked about. Because you have received a faith as precious as Peter's. Because you have been given divine power to experience a divine nature. You now are to make every effort to add to your faith these things. Do you have a precious faith as, as, do you have a faith as precious as Peter's? Yes or no? Now you must add these things to your faith. So everybody think about this. You have a faith as precious as Peter, but you may not be using your faith as Peter did. So think of it, another example, how many like the movie star The Rock? Does anybody like The Rock? Nobody. How about, how many, let me ask again, how many like The Rock? He's probably one of the coolest guys out there in my opinion. He's not a Christian or doesn't always live like one. But let's just look at a picture of The Rock here. Now if you notice about five years ago he changed and got even more bulky and handsome and all this. But uh, let's just see here, okay? Now, you never thought you would see a picture of the rock in church until you came here, but now you get, you get to see it all here. Now watch. Do all the men here have muscles that are by um, definition, you know, or by the, the skeletal matter or whatever makes a muscle on a body the same as the rock? Well, yeah, we do. But have we worked out our muscles as much as he has to make them look like that? No, we haven't. Now, let's say he hasn't done any steroids. He's just, let's, let's say he's done it all natural. Then that means I have the exact kind of muscle tissue in his pecs right now. I have the same kind of muscle tissue. The difference is I haven't stretched it out. I haven't filled it with protein, and I haven't made it into muscle like him. All right? I have the same kind of arm bone and arm muscle, whatever those are. We have a nurse there. You can tell us the different muscles in the body. If you would look at us in an x-ray, those same things would be there. So what's the difference between me and the rock? Is it our bone structure? No. Is it the makeup of our muscles and the names of the body, uh, the muscles we have in our body? No. The difference is he has worked out his muscles. So do we have faith as precious as Peter? Absolutely. But are we using our faith the same way as Peter? That's only a question that you can answer because many of you here today may not be putting to work your faith. And so you have a faith as precious as Peter, but you need to add these things to your faith. That's why it says make every effort to add to your faith goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. Those are seven things. Now look at this next part. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, think about exercising your faith with those seven exercises, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Now, some of you have to take this very serious because you may have been a Christian and you're not living like a Christian. And I want to show you that passage in Ezekiel. Everybody turn to Ezekiel chapter 18. Because can Christians turn away from God? Yes, they can. Christians can say, I believe in Jesus, know Jesus, and then they can turn away from Jesus and break his law. And then when they do, they will find themselves in a whole lot of trouble. Look at this. Watch, uh, let's go to verse, say, um, let's go to verse 20. The one who sins is the one who will die. This is Ezekiel 18, 20. The child will not share in the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. How many are happy you're not responsible for your parents' mistakes? Amen. I'm glad that I get to stand alone between me and God. The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. So there are no favorites with God. It doesn't matter who your parents are. Maybe some of you wish you could stand in your parents' righteousness, but that won't work either. You cannot do that. Now watch. In verse 21, it says, But if a wicked person turns away from all the sins they have committed and keeps all my decrees, how many decrees? All my decrees and does what is right and just, and that person will live, and they will not die. How many can say amen to that? Now watch. What about a righteous person? Go to verse 24. But if a righteous person turns from their righteousness and commits sin and does the same detestable things the wicked person does, will they live? No, that's an obvious answer. What he's saying, because you're supposed to know that. No, none of the righteous things that person has done will be remembered because of the unfaithfulness they are guilty of. And because of the sins they have committed, they will die. Go back to that passage here. Whoever does not have them, verse 9, is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So can somebody walk away from Jesus who has once known Jesus? Yes or no? Could Peter have walked away from Jesus and denied him and continued to deny him as Judas did? What's the difference between Judas and Peter? Peter didn't quit. He came back to repentance. Judas forgot that he was forgiven, continued to live in his sin, and killed himself. Never be like a Judas and, can, and live in continual disobedience. And so let me show you that as well. In Hebrews chapter 10, look at what it says. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. Today's more of a Bible study. I had a lot to share in first service. I, I'm really quick today because I have them uh, in my mind. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, rather, not 36. Look at what it says. If we deliberately keep on sinning. See, these are, these are Christians talking to other Christians. He's saying, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian. The writer of, of Hebrews is saying this. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we, everybody say we, have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. That means if you keep on sinning and you die in your sins, like we learned in Ezekiel, you cannot expect to come to heaven and have Jesus forgive you there. There will be no sacrifice of sins, right? You will die and perish in your sins. Does everybody get that? You cannot expect to backslide and have Jesus die again. That's what it means. Look at what it says again. If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. In the Bible, we call that person a backslider. They had once a faith as precious as Peter, but they stopped growing. And in the Bible, whatever is not growing is dying. And because now they are dying and they've turned away from God, they have forgotten 
that they have been cleansed from past sins. And look at the way the Bible describes them. They are called nearsighted and blind. Think about that. They're nearsighted. All they can see is of this earth. I don't need Jesus anymore. Or at least I don't need to go to church and act like he's very important. I have more important things to do. And all they see is their 70 years. They can't see beyond their life. They're blind because they don't see that now they're in the trap of the enemy. They think like the frog that they've jumped into a cage and there's a lot of food in there for them or whatever. An animal, uh, I, you know, I used to live in the New Orleans and we would hunt in the swamps and do all these crazy things. And I would get crawfish and these things. And by my house, you, can't, you can take the boy out, out of Nolens, but you can't take Nolens out the boy. And so I now got a net for my kids to go catch frogs in the suburbs right here next to my house because it's just like that's what you do. There's frogs there. You catch them. And I was this close to eating them, but I said, well, the people might think I'm crazy. You know, so I don't want them to think I'm crazy. But we would crawfish and do these things. And whatever you're trying to do, you set a trap for it. The crawfish, we would put liver, you know, this bloody liver on a, um, a trap and put it in the swamp. These crawfish, they're like little mud bugs. They'll come up and start eating it. They think it's fun. Like, it's great because they're blind to the fact that they're in my trap and they're going to become my lunch later on. Has anybody ever had boiled crawfish before? All right, you guys know, I'll put a little picture of boiled crawfish up here just because we're having a good time today in second service. And uh, I am definitely wanting some of this. This is the season when it comes out. A boiled crawfish starts around uh, crawfish season around the spring. Look at that. Isn't that what you guys want right now? Crawfish boil. It's like, duh. It's like, ah. Just taking its time. See, these little crawfish didn't know that they were going to be somebody's lunch. They thought that it was all good. Oh, we got free food. Oh, it's good. You know, and they didn't realize what was really going on. And that's what the devil does, and that's what sin will do. Oh, look, look at all the stuff you get to do. Look at how fun it is. So you become nearsighted and blind. But look at this in verse 8. Whoever possesses these qualities in increasing measure, they will be kept from being ineffective and unproductive in their knowledge of Jesus. So when I meet people and they say, I go to church, but it doesn't really work. I've read the Bible. I've tried that, and I haven't done, I haven't done so well. It didn't work well for me. Is the problem the Bible or is the problem their faith? It's their faith because they have not added these seven qualities to their life. The problem is they are not doing what Christ commanded them to do, and so they're suffering for it. Now let's go to the last part of the passage here. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, who? Jesus Christ. Now just put it all together. You've read a whole passage here from Peter. It's right at the beginning of his book here. He says, I'm a servant and an apostle. You have received from Jesus faith just as precious as mine and all the other apostles. And then he says, you've been given divine power to have everything you need to live a godly life and participate in a divine nature and escape the evil of this world. And then he says, for that reason, now add these seven awesome things into your life and keep growing in them so you don't become unproductive and ineffective, nearsighted and blind. And he says, now, guys, you make sure you keep on doing this because if you do these things, you will never stumble. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to stumble spiritually 
or physically, okay? Does anybody here, can anybody relate to me into stubbing a toe in the bedroom or somewhere in your house? And then it's like, dear God, this is painful. What, what happened to me? You know, it's like out of nowhere, and you hit that toe or something, and it's like pain. If you could take that and put it in a pill and give it to terrorists, they would confess where all the enemy is right now because the pain of stubbing your toe is like the pain of no other. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to go through life willingly, you know, stubbing my pinky toe. Another one that's similar to stubbing my toe is my bathroom door has just enough room to scrape. Uh, my bathroom door has enough, just enough room to scrape over my feet and, and get stuck on one of my toes. And so, if I'm not paying attention as I'm shutting it to turn around, it'll go and it'll get stuck right on my toe. It'll be like, oh, Jesus, oh, let me get that out of there. Okay, and then and then just think about like, does any girl here like we got some single or engaged rather engaged couples? Is any woman here wanting to stumble as you're coming up on your wedding day? You know, going up in front of everybody to the altar. Does any woman here just want to stumble? Is there any dude here that wants to be catching the bus tomorrow? And as you're catching the bus, be like, hold up, and you fall. Is there anybody that wants to do that? Is there anybody? No. Is there anybody here that wants to intend like you're intending right now? To stumble, fall, stub your toe. No, we don't want to do that. So why should we do that with Christianity? Why should any of us say right now, I'm, I'm planning on sinning tonight. I'm planning on going back home with my girlfriend and sinning, even though God said not to have sex before marriage. Or oh, I'm planning on partying, and I'm going to overdo it and get drunk, right? Why should any person say, I want to stumble and expect God to just forgive me? No, forgiveness is not an excuse to sin. Forgiveness is my reason not to sin. It's my reason not to sin. You say, well, what do you mean? There's power in the forgiveness to change my heart so I don't have to keep sinning. Think about this. When my wife and I met, I had the ability to keep dating other girls if I wanted to. But the power of, my of her love for me and the love that I began to feel for her began to tell me that I want her more than any other woman. And I chose to stop dating other women. And then if I ever made a mistake, not in dating other women, but mistreating her or whatever, her forgiveness was like her way of saying, my love covers your mistakes. Let's keep going. I won't give up on you. Don't give up on me. And it encouraged me to stay faithful and loyal to her. If I used her forgiveness because I make mistakes and say, now, honey, I'm going to cheat on you and you'll forgive me because you've always been so nice, that's not going to get me very far, is it? And we shouldn't think that way with God. Forgiveness is not the get-out-of-jail-free card because you know the warden. Well, I know the warden, so I'm just going to go commit as many crimes as I want, and if I get locked up, they'll, un they'll leave the door unlocked and let me out. No, God is not like that. God will punish you just as much as he punishes the wicked. We just saw that in Ezekiel. But for his child or his son that truly makes a mistake, he forgives so that their heart can change and not live in sin. Now, a lot of you remember the story of the woman caught in adultery. How many have heard that story before? She's a woman. She's in adultery. The sad part is when she's brought before Jesus, they don't bring the man, right? So they take this woman who's caught in adultery, and the Jewish law said that a woman caught in adultery should die. But it also said so should the man. Now, once again, they don't have the man there. They just have the woman. Now, he, Jesus says, those who are without sin throw the first stone. Does everybody remember that? Can I get an amen? Let, let one of you, let any one, let any one of you, this demonic thing right here, Satanas, stop it, Satanas, you evil thing. <laughs> let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. We all know that verse, right? And then we, we and then people will put right with that, uh, don't you judge me. God said don't judge, right? So if you're talking to somebody about sin, they're going to know that verse. Let he who is without sin throw the first stone. 
don't you judge me. And then they're going to follow up with that, right? That's what they're going to do because that's, that's what sinners do. Sinners make excuse for their sin. Now, let me see if I can set this program free one more time. Freedom, black screen, you dirty, dirty little program. Would you open it up for me one more time as I continually be reminded why I should have a paper Bible on my desk here? In that same passage, though, Jesus says, where's your accusers? And she goes, no one, my Lord, no one's here. Because obviously no one can say I haven't sinned so that no one could throw a stone then. But what keeps happening in that passage? This is a part that most people don't remember. Jesus then said to her, nobody accuses you. And then he goes on, and now let me go to John chapter 8 here. And then he says to her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Everybody say, sin no more. You don't need to sin no more, baby. You don't have to keep sinning. I'm telling you, that's what Jesus said. And so now we get it in our minds. Forgiveness is an excuse for me to keep sinning when that's exactly the opposite. Forgiveness is a reason to live holy because God promises in forgiveness to change our hearts. And so as they're pulling that up, I want you guys to look at the passage again. In closing, because now we're going to go into, uh, you know, we're going to move from past the introduction, because that was just what? The introduction. So moving past the introduction, I want you to see this. We know that we can have forgiveness of sins and live holy because we have the divine nature on the inside of us. And this is the way Peter said it. And you will receive a rich inheritance in the kingdom of God. So I don't want to stumble, but I want a rich inheritance. How many want a rich inheritance in the kingdom of God? So don't be so nearsighted and blind that you don't see there is a kingdom to come. Now let me pause here in this introduction area, and this will give them time to put the scriptures back up. Let me just pause here and say this to everybody. As surely as you are in this world, there is a world to come. And I want to get deep with you right now because a lot of times we just say, I, I don't know if I can believe that because I only believe what I can see. Okay. If you only believe what you can see, which is this world right now, where did this world come from? And somebody will say, well, it came from evolution. I'm a scientist. I believe in science, not in God. Anybody ever hear somebody say that? I believe in science, not God. And I just kind of want to go, tsh, tsh, tsh. where do you think you got the ability to do science from? Not evolution. You got it from God. But let's just track what they're thinking for a little bit. Thank you. I'll take it from here, good sir. Track what they're thinking. So they say, I believe in science and not God. Okay, what is science? Science is the study of knowledge or things, things to be known and through, an experimental, uh, through experiments and hypotheses. Okay, how did you get that ability? And somebody would say, well, my brain, right? Okay, well, where did you get your brain from? And it will come right back to evolution. Right? So the idea is going to be, it's like evolution is going to be pitted against God. So we explain God through, I mean, we explain the universe through God, and they're going to explain the universe through evolution. But now we have a question. Where did evolution come from? Because evolution is not something walking around with a big E and a big V and an O and L. I'm evolution, and I make stuff happen. No, where, where did evolution come from? See, evolution is a process within living things to adapt and change. But where did living things come from? And then somebody will say, well, okay, I mean, I believe in a big bang, and then evolution. And then what do we say about the big bang? We say, who banged it? Who banged it? Because nothing can't bang something, right? And then let alone, nothing can't bang nothing. Can nothing bang something? If I had, if I had my phone right here and I say, nothing, come here, bang my phone. Can nothing bang my phone? Now let's make the magic trick even harder. Nothing bang nothing and create something. Have you ever seen that done? 
Is there a scientist right now that can show me nothing plus nothing equals something? Okay, can they even show me nothing doing something? let alone creating nothing from nothing. No, because from nothing, nothing comes. Now watch this, but there is something. There is a something. It's the world we live in. There's a conscious mind inside of us. So where did that came, come from? Did it come from nothing? No, I believe in the Big Bang. I just know who banged it. It came from what? God. Now God is the logical answer. It's not a faith answer. It's a logical answer. I don't need to have faith to believe that something produces something and that nothing produces nothing. Does everybody get that? That doesn't even take faith. Faith is something that you may not see or be able to do in an experiment, but you believe. I have faith Jesus raised from the dead, and I can't do an experiment to show you Jesus raising from the dead again. I believe that Peter walked on water, and I can't do an experiment to show you that Peter walked on water, but I can do a million experiments today to show you that nothing plus nothing always equals nothing, and I can do a million experiments that shows you something plus something equals something, something, something is the answer there. Now, we may say, well, I don't know if I can believe in a world to come, but now you believe in a world that's already here. How did this world get here? And so I say the same God that brought the first world that you see here now as it is, and all normal is, is what is a normal thing to you, a repetitive habit or a, a, a way of living or a system. So my children grow up with an iPhone. This is normal to them. This would have freaked out children in the first century, right? They would have thought this was some magical thing. So normal is just what is normal to you or what the system you live in. This is a normal system for you, a fallen world, brokenness, children die, evil is in the world, things are happening. But God is saying to you, there is a world to come. And the same way uh, he created this first world, he says, I'm going to create the next world. But here's the difference. In the first world, I gave people a choice whether or not they wanted to be in the next world, whether or not they wanted to be in that kingdom. And you could substitute kingdom with world. It's the same mindset. And that's what Jesus is talking about. That's why he says in like a place, let me just show you in John 3, 3, he says, no one can enter the kingdom of God or the world to come unless they are born again. Because now in this world, since Adam and Eve have fallen, we get to make choices between good and evil. And the only way you get to be in the world to come or the kingdom to come is if you choose Christ here and are born again. Does everybody get that? Okay. Now follow me along here as we begin to understand what Peter is teaching us. Because he's now saying if you do those things, you'll never stumble and you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. Is the world we live in now eternal? No, it's going to end, and you see it ending all the time. Whether it's supernovas and explosions of stars in the sky, or today, your own pet dies, or something, you know, you kill an animal, or whatever, or kill an insect, rather. You don't kill an animal, right? Most of you don't hunt and do that, but uh, I would like to do that. I, when I go kayaking, they have duck blinds, and those are places where you can hunt ducks. And I'm like, really, right here? This is so cool, because there's so many ducks. So I went and asked somebody, are these just like bird-watching stations, or can you really hunt? And they've actually told me you can hunt there. So maybe for my kayak during the fall, I'll be shooting with my shotgun ducks. How many would like to see that on Facebook? Okay, a few of you, and you can come out with me. Amen. We'll be eating duck soup or whatever you eat with duck. Fried duck. Yes. Duck duck stew, duck pasta, whatever. Now watch. We see things die all the time, but in the eternal kingdom, it never dies. You never die, and the eternal kingdom never ends. What kingdom do you want? The, world, the one of this world that ends and perishes in hell, or do you want the one that lasts for eternity? Which one? Eternity. Okay, now we understand what Peter is saying. So how is spiritual growth as easy as one, two, three? Check it out right here. Number one, you need to believe Jesus is who he said he is. Remember this from last week? How many believe Jesus is who he said he is? 
Okay, and who is he? Who did Peter say Jesus is? He's what? He's our God and Savior. To those who, through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? If you don't, you need to repent for your unbelief and accept Jesus in your heart as your God and Savior. That's how we grow, by first being born again. The second thing that we see is that we have to believe that we are who Jesus said we are. And who did Peter, and speaking on behalf of Jesus, I believe that scripture is God speaking through men. So who did Peter say that we are? We are given everything we need according to God's divine power, but we are participating in a divine nature. So do you believe that you were born naughty by your parents, but born again in divine nature by God? Do you believe that? If you only look to your experience and say, well, when I accepted Christ, nothing changed. Uh, I've read the Bible and I don't see any light coming from me, then you'll be deceived. Because your experience is limited to only what is of physical and of this world. But remember that we learned that, that uh, Jesus taught us in John 3, 3, that the spirit, that the birth is a spiritual birth. Flesh gives birth to flesh. So your mom and dad got together one old night, lonely old night, listening to Art Kelly, Al Green, whatever was jamming on back then, high, a stairway to heaven, you know what I'm saying? And after that, here nine months later, boop, here you come. Well, how do you get birthed by the Spirit? Does God make love with the mother God up in heaven and boop, there comes your spirit? No, there is no mother God. God is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So how does your spirit get reborn? Well, Jesus tells us this in the same passage. He said it like this. He said, for God so loved the world that whoever uh, he gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. And if you see it again in 1 Peter, and uh, I'll show you here. Uh, I don't have it in, by memory. But it says, you have been born again of M N or imperishable. I can't remember. How do you spell imperishable, Rachel, with an M or an N? An M. Okay, there we go. First Peter 1 Peter 1.23. Look at this scripture right here. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed. And that is literally uh, talking about the seed of a man going into a woman. It's not trying to be sexually perverse, but it's just talking about how we are born in this, to this natural world is by the seed of a man going into a woman. But that's a perishable seed because your body dies. But you have been born imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Now, how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing what? The Word of God. Peter said you have faith as precious as ours, and you got it through the Word of God. So how are you born again? By the Word of God. The Word of God plants in your heart, and you say, Word of God, I want you in my heart. And boop, there comes a new person. Now, does that new person, uh, does becoming a new person take a long time, or is it an instantaneous thing? instantaneous. How do we know that? We just turn to other scriptures in the Bible, and we see exactly when we become a new person. We don't take nine months to grow in the spiritual womb. We don't have to do a bunch of different good works. No, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Does everybody see that? Everybody believe the Bible. Is anybody here that doesn't believe the Bible? Speak now, forever hold your peace. Okay, look at Ezekiel chapter 36, 26. I will give you a new heart. How many of you think that you've been given a new heart? Amen. Are you still on the transplant table of heaven and Dr. Jesus is still working on you? You've been there for 20 years and you're still waiting for the heart to be transplanted? No, I will give you a new heart. When? When you're born again. When am I born again? When I believe the word of God. When I believe Jesus is who he said he is. I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you, and I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. 
I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to follow all my laws. So God is going to do that. Now, when God gives you a spirit, does he give you a dirty little nasty spirit or does he give you a perfect spirit? Is there anything perfect in this world? Yes, there is. God and your spirit. God in your spirit. You may say, Pastor, I don't know if I believe that. Well, good thing I got the Bible here and not what Oprah Winfrey says or what anybody else says. How many want to read what the Bible says? Okay, let's read what the Bible says. And you, you tell me what you do with it. Let, let's go to verse 22 of Hebrews. Look at it. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the myriad of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. How many of you have your names enrolled in heaven? How do you get your name written down in heaven? By faith in Jesus Christ. You get your names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. How many have ever heard about the Lamb's Book of Life? Maybe I should just show, can I show you the Lamb's Book of Life? Amen. This is all good for spiritual growth, isn't it? The book of Revelation talks about that when we come to Jesus Christ and are born again, our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Lamb's Book of Life, let me put Revy here. Revelation here. Revelation. Naughty little Bible verses here. I shouldn't say that. That's naughty Bible verse, but naughty website. Lamb, book of life, revelation. Give me that scripture. Man. Name. We put name here. Isn't it something your pastor doesn't have the whole Bible memorized? This little thing keeps coming up every single time. Let me see. Book of Revelation. Let me put the book here. Otherwise, I'll do a word search in my Bible because I want you guys to see it. Okay, let me show you how, you, you see how a pastor doesn't know everything? Can I show you how I find scriptures I don't know? Here we go. Watch this right here. Come on, I'm going to do a search. Wham. Boom. This is second service stuff right here, Rachy Rach. Now, if somebody knew the Bible a little bit better than me, they could help me right now. There you go. You know it better than me. Let's see. I would have found it here eventually. Let's see where it says. Now, I'll just show everybody here my little search. There it is. You said 13.8? There's right here. Watch. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. This is talking about in the end times. Anyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of the Lamb who has been slain. So how do you get your name in this book? To be born again. Through faith, right? By accepting Christ. Now, remember... We're talking about Jesus Christ saving us and transforming us and making us like him. He puts his spirit in us. He changes us. He puts our name in the Lamb's book of life. Now go back to that passage right here that I was just explaining in Peter. In Peter, in perishable, uh, excuse me, Hebrews. Go back to that passage here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, and look at it. To the church of the firstborn. How many of you are a part of the church of the firstborn? Who is the firstborn? Jesus, and why is he the firstborn? Because he's the first one to raise from the dead. Do you believe you're going to raise from the dead one day? So you're a part of his church. He's the church of the firstborn. And as he's raised from the dead, all of you will raise from the dead. Are your names written in heaven? Do you now see that? Your names are written in the Lamb's book of life because you have believed in God. Now watch. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made what? How are the spirits of the righteous made? Can I get a stool, Joe B? Because I think I've got to sit down and teach you a little bit. Come on. How are the spirits of the righteous made? Now I would say put that in your religious pipe and smoke it. Because if you don't believe that, I don't know what else to tell you. I don't know what else to tell you. If somebody, is, if somebody says to me, thank you, sir, 
If somebody says to me, I don't believe that once I'm born again, my spirit is made perfect, I would say, what is your problem with this scripture? If they are saying this only happens in heaven, then I would have to say, what happens here on earth when I'm born again by the spirit? Does God give me a half jacked up spirit? And then when I go to heaven, he gives me finally a new spirit. Then that means I need to get born again again. There's two born agains. There's a born again in this life, and then there's a born again at death. Does everybody get that? There's not a born again at death. The only thing that changes at death is that you no longer have a sinful body, that naughty body you were given from your mom and dad, just like my naughty body. The naughty body goes into the grave. It is your spirit that lives on after your body. And how is that spirit made? Perfect or imperfect? Okay, now some people would say, well, that doesn't count for your soul. Where spirit, soul, and body, the body dies, your spirit is made perfect, but your soul is still messed up. Can I show you that that's nonsense? Turn with me to 1 Peter. Everybody turn to 1 Peter, the first book of Peter. Oh, this silly thing. <laughs> Put it back up. Put it back up. Go to 1 Peter. Lord have mercy. You ever just feel like you're having one of those days? Stuff doesn't work right. Thank you. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Same, same author. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, he talks about our souls. You know, our souls and our spirits are different. But I believe it's only different in the sense of bone and marrow. And where do I get that example from? The Bible. The Bible says that the word of God separates bone from marrow, spirit from soul. So when you look at a bone, yeah, it's, marrow is different than the bone, but it's really a part of the same thing. It has the same kind of a function in your body. Your soul and spirit are different, but they really operate as one. Your spirit is what gives life to your soul. It's what makes you a spiritual being. Your spirit is what makes you a living soul. And so the way I like to say it, just to make it simple, is that you have a spiritual soul. You have a physical body. You don't have an angelic body. You have a physical body. There are bodies in heaven, and your resurrected body will be like that. But you have a physical body. Can everybody say physical body? That means you can't walk through this wall right now. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he walked through walls. Can anybody do that? Like to see you try, get a running head start. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, you don't. Do, you can't do that because you don't have a spiritual body. You only have a physical body, right? When you are resurrected, you are given a spiritual body, right? That's a body makeover. Look it up. Look it up in the Bible. First Corinthians. You get a body like Christ. Now, the body of Christ is spiritual, but it still has physical attributes to it. And so we like to say it's made of flesh and bone, but not of blood. And that's, that's just kind of like how I look at it. I don't have much more into that mystery. But we know Jesus could eat. We know that Jesus could talk. People could touch him. And so it was physical in that way, but it could also ascend to heaven, walk through walls, and disappear. And so what we would call that is a resurrected or spiritual body that had physical attributes. Now, you also see that in the pre-incarnation of Christ, that when Jesus showed up with Abraham on the plains of Mamre in Genesis 18, that he's sitting and talking with them. We also see that the burning bush, he's in the fire with them. Moses had a, uh, what we call a Christophany. Everybody say Christophany. I just got to stand up because I'm going to go too deep with you guys. You see, I sit down, I go to Bible study. I got to stand up a little bit. All right, I'll go preach you on you right here. But anyways, Christophanies and all of these things show us that Jesus could have a... Um, a spiritual body just for a time that would be looking like a physical man, but it wasn't uh, his, his resurrected body. And here's the difference, because it probably didn't have bone. It probably wasn't actually made of flesh. Like angels don't have flesh and bone. But what Jesus doesn't have anymore is blood. So he's not leaking out from those holes or from his side. And uh, how do I know this? Because the Bible says that uh, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, but flesh and bone can. And that's a whole other side issue. And I've given you guys a lot of time back. Let's give it up for our DJs back there. Is it not opening? 
Is it not opening? Okay, can you just put it up? Because I think I stalled as long as I could. There we go. Go to First Peter. Go to First Peter. And uh, let, let me open it up myself here from this point. Let me just take it from here. Thank you. Because part of the complication is, is I'm not having it up the way it's supposed to be from the very beginning because it keeps doing that. Okay, can you open up the other Bible program? Uh, just open up my other Bible program. Everybody go to First Peter chapter 1. And remember we're talking about now what is the substance of your soul. If our, perfect, if, our, if our spirit is made perfect, what about our soul? What about our soul? So go to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. Go there. And let me give you the exact scripture because, of course, now I can't see it there. Purified your soul. Purified your soul. Let's go there. It is 1 Peter 1.22. When you're there, say I'm there. Okay, it says, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. I'm in the King James. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. Does everybody get that? Gentlemen, are you able to put up that Bible? Okay, thank you. Spirit is made what, perfect or imperfect? Is my soul perfect now or imperfect? Perfect. What else would it be? What else would it be? It would be a dirty spirit with a dirty soul. And that doesn't mix, does it? It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense either. How can my soul be one thing, unclean and dirty, but my spirit be another thing? Okay, this is the same Bible program. We're going to try it one more time. The other one won't even. It's asking for my password. What a good day. How many love Jesus despite naughty, naughty programs? Okay, here we go. Let me take it from here, gentlemen, one more time. Lord, please make the Bible work. Please make this Biblia work. Okay, wherever it's at, it's where it's at. No, I got it from here. We'll just go to my notes. My notes are all good. How many, how many happy I got notes? There's actually stuff I wrote down before I came up to talk to you to show you that I know what I'm talking about here. Number one, do you believe Jesus is your great God and Savior? Do you believe you are who God said you are? That was that rabbit trail. Perfect in your spirit, perfect in your soul. Now, a lot of us, we get thrown off by that word perfect. We get, we get like, whoa, whoa, what does that mean? Does that mean I never make a mistake or whatever? No, what I'm saying is it is not lacking anything. It's a perfectly round circle in a sense. It's a whole circle. It's a whole soul, spirit. You don't need anything else added to it. There's nothing missing from it. When God gave it to you new, it was complete. It was whole. And then here's the last thing that you got to believe is that you can do what Jesus said you can do. And what did Jesus say you can do through Peter is he said that you could add these seven things to your life. How many believe you can do that? There's spiritual growth right there. Do you believe Jesus is who he said he is, God and Savior? Do you believe you are who God said you are, a partaker in the divine nature? And do you believe that you can do what he said you can do? If you believe those three things, it is now time for you to grow and increase in the measure of your faith. Because remember, the question was, do you believe? Do you believe Jesus is who he said he is? Do you believe you are who Jesus said you are? Do you believe you can do what Jesus said you can do? Those are things of faith. Now, faith must continue to grow. 
And so what we need to know is what spiritual growth is. Here we go. Spiritual growth is the process of transformation by which the disciple increases in their knowledge of God and shows it by living it. So now that I know we got lost a little bit, let's just go back to the title. And everybody look up here, please. Let me just help you. Here it is. Very simple. Growing is not me becoming a better person. Spiritual growth is not me becoming a better person. When Jesus made me a new person, that is a complete person. I cannot improve upon that. Spiritual growth is me living like the person he made me to be. Do you see that? That is, I'll say it again for you. You can write it down. Spiritual growth is not me growing to become a better person. It's me learning to live to be the person I've already been created to be. It's a big difference. I want to show you that in the Bible, if this Bible will cooperate with me. In Ephesians chapter 2, look at what it says. Ephesians chapter 2, you decide, chapter 2, verse 10. We'll look at a modern translation here. It says, for we are God's what? Masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the things he planned for us long ago. Am I doing, doing, doing so I can become new, new, and new? Or do I become new so I can do, do, and do? Which comes first? Do my good works come first or the new creation come first? Or let me say it with the do and a new rhyme here. Am I made anew or do I have to do, do? Which comes first, do, do, or a new? See, because you think you're going to do, 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 do all these things and make God love you. And he says that's just a bunch of what? Do, do. Do you get it? Your good works without Jesus, your do, 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 do is just a bunch of do, do. It stinks. It really is. You cannot be good enough for God. Some of you don't believe that because I got some looks going on right here. So I'll just show you in Isaiah. Look at Isaiah chapter 1. Now, women, I got to make an example here. It's not my example. It's the biblical example, so it may get a little weirder, okay? But uh, I got to use this example right here, and I think some of you guys are going to like it. Some of you may not, but I don't really have a choice because I kind of have to do what the Bible says, okay? Come now, let us settle the matter, okay? Let us settle this matter. Let's just settle it right now, God says. Though your sins are like a scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be as white as wool. Do you guys see that? Now, one, one more time. One more time. Filthy rags. How many ever heard the term filthy rags? Okay, now this is where it's going to be a little bit weird, but I got to go there. Isaiah 64, same Isaiah. Isaiah taught us here that God's going to make us clean. We were red. He's going to make us white. Does everybody get that? Okay, this is not dirty-minded pastor here, okay? This is, everybody just go, Isaiah 64, 6. Now watch. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. You know why he said red and white? And why now it says filthy rags? Because that is a woman's menstrual rag. In the Old Testament, they would have to wash them and clean them to use them again. I know it's gross. I know it's gross. It's the Bible. It was a culture that they lived in. They understood it. That's why I'll show you here just in case you think I'm messing with you. That's why he said You'll, you were red, you were dirty, but I'm going to make you white as snow. And many of you know that blood is red and makes us white as snow. But why is the red there looking as a bad thing? Why is the red like, oh, I don't want to be red? Because though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Because the Isaiah... The same guy writing is telling us 
that that is how deep and dark and bloody, I just hate to get nasty, but I just, I'm just telling you what the Bible said, is what it looks like. Look at all of us have become unclean. All our righteous acts, all the things we think we do, do, do without God are really menstrual rags to God. And they shrivel up like a leaf and the winds and, and, and the wind, like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Now, remember when I said the word, like, do, do, smells like dung? You know that Paul said, I count everything but dung to know Christ. And that what he was talking about there was not just the bad things that he did. He was actually talking about the works in his prior life as a religious man. Look at Philippians 3, verse 8. Does anybody get anything out of this? I have really worked the word today, right? Watch this. In the King James, in the old school language, watch it right here. What is more? Um, King James, uh, Philippians 3, 8. Let me get it here. Philippians 3, 8. Look at it right here. Yea, doubtless, I count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as dung that I may win Christ. Look at that. I count them as dung. What is he counting as dung? What does he count as dung? Circumcised, the eighth day, the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. He says, before I was a Christian, I was a Jewish man. I kept the law perfectly, and now today I count it all as dung in comparison to knowing Jesus. In Isaiah, he said, all of our righteous acts without Jesus were filthy menstrual rags. And so, my friends, what do we come to here when we study the Word? What we're coming to is an idea that spiritual growth is not something we're doing to change ourselves. You can't change yourself. Religious people much better than you and I have already tried and they have failed. And they have failed miserably. And that is why they're saying their good works were nothing but do, do, do. And God was saying, I've come to make you a new, new, new. So today, are there good works to do? Yes, but first you become a new person. Jesus is not that angry father that says, I don't love you unless you win the game. He's not saying, I don't love you unless you do a bunch of good things. What he is saying to you is, I love you right now, and I'll save you right now. That's the scandal of the gospel. That's what Ephesians is teaching us, is that we are created first as new creations, and then we get to do the good works that God created us to do. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You want to do good works? Get born again. Admit that all your prior works have been filthy. You want to be a righteous person? Admit without Christ you're unrighteous. How many want to do that? Only sinners can be saved, not self-righteous people. And so now look at this quickly here in closing. The process, the spiritual growth, what it is, it's a process of transformation by which the disciple increases in their knowledge of God and shows it by living holy. What is growing in Christianity? Knowing and showing. Because the more I know about God, the more I'll show it in my life. Now, think of it this way. Every time a believer learns something new about God as it pertains to his will for their life and lives it out, they grow and transform. Remember that transformation is not about becoming a better person, but rather acting like the person Jesus already made you to be. 
First, Christians are made masterpiece, and then second, they do good works. Think about Jesus. He was born perfect as a virgin. How many believe Jesus was born perfect as a virgin? Does now the virgin birth make sense to you? Why did he have to become born of a virgin? So he wouldn't get a sinful body. He did not get a naughty body. He was literally what the Bible calls the second Adam. He started over the human race for us. And he didn't use his divine power to do it. He came as a man. He didn't stop being God. He just didn't use his tricks or his power as God to overcome the enemy. He did the same thing that we can do to overcome the enemy. He became our example. That's why we're called Christians, to be Christ-like. That's why we're to be his disciples and to follow his teachings. Does everybody get that? So now think of your spiritual growth. As the same way, it's how you discover who you are and acting like it. Just like the perfectly virgin-born Jesus grew in wisdom and stature by doing the perfect will of the Father, likewise we are born again perfect, godly, holy, and purified in our spiritual soul and should live out the perfect will of God. How many want to live out the perfect will of God? Right? How many want to do that? Now can I show you that you're supposed to? Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Look at it right here. Look at it. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How many of you now want to live out God's good will? How many want to live out his pleasing will? How many live out his perfect will? Thank you. I want to do it. Do you want to live out his perfect will or his imperfect will? Do you want to live out his good will or his evil will? His pleasing will or disgusted will. I mean, it doesn't even make sense to think of it otherwise, right? Like as if God has another kind of will. He doesn't have two wills wrestling against each other. Jesus submitted to the will of the Father because as a man, he didn't want to die a fleshly, gruesome death. So he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. But there was never two wills in heaven. Jesus was just showing us as a human man, he could submit his will to the perfect will of God, even if it meant the cross. And that's why the Bible is telling you in other places, look to Jesus. Even if you have to suffer, even if you're left alone, even if people don't follow you, if you truly follow Jesus to the perfect will of God, it will be the best thing for you every time. And so let us look at this as now growing our faith. How many want their faith to grow? So what is that faith? Faith is the gift of God which is given to all who receive the word of God. Remember that we talked about at the beginning. When you hear the word of God, faith is being given to you. If you choose to receive it, it is yours. If you don't want to receive it, it is now taken away. And we we see that in the parable of the sower. How many remember the parable of the sower? Anybody remember that? Let's see if I can get a cool picture right here. Parable of the sower. And the four grounds, because there was four grounds that were mentioned in that parable, and that's the decision of your heart. Let's look at this. Let's hope there's no nudity in this, but I think we should watch this video right now. Right? Let's hope there's nothing dirty here. Let's see what happens. I'm willing to go for it. Let's go. Put up the volume, please. Here's the parable of the sower. Turn it up, good sir. Okay, this is going to be good. That's the word of God going forth. This is a parable Jesus taught. The seed is the word of God. This is perfect. I can keep preaching while you guys look at a cartoon. If the seed falls on bad ground, that is like a hard heart. And that's like it falling on stones. If you have a hard heart and don't believe the word of God, the devil will come and take it and steal it from you. This is the parable that Jesus said shows us why people go to hell, because they don't believe it. Their heart is that stone. Does everybody get it? 
So you decide how you receive the word of God. Now the bird's going to come and eat it. And Jesus says, that's like the devil. He's going to eat that little seed. That's why when I preach to people and they don't want to live for God, the devil just comes and takes it because they don't want it. The next one, Jesus said, is like those who hear the word of God and are very excited and say, I want to be a Christian, but their roots are not that deep. And so when the sun comes out, instead of sun giving life to them, the sun actually scorches them. Let me tell you this. The trial that is trying to break you, if you stay and put your roots deep in Christ, it will make you. God uses tests to bring about testimony. You got to get that. Trials and tests are not from the devil. They're from God. God allows them to strengthen your faith. Now, the third one is the one that goes among the weeds. Their seed is growing. It's doing good. But the problem is, is that there's also weeds, undealt with issues in their heart. And the Bible says there's three major kinds of weeds that come up and choke out the, the little fruit here. The weeds of greed the weeds of pleasure, and the weed of worry. Worry in this life, greed for more, and the weed of pleasure. There are three weeds that choke out your spiritual growth. The last one is the one that grows in good ground because the heart stays with God, and the ground remains pure, and now the sun, the trials and tests that used to burn it, now make it stronger. And so there's a purpose for your pain, and now you bring forth fruit. And I literally did not have that plan, and this makes up for the crazy stuff before. <laughs> That's literally what it felt like. It felt like I was getting sacked. It felt like I was not running. It felt like the ball kept going backwards, and literally a touchdown was just made. Praise God. That's what it felt like for this pastor. In closing, as Rachel Rach comes, Rachie Rach, would you please come? Look, look at this passage here as we get ready to close out as what Peter is teaching us about ourselves and what we need to do. We need to grow and we need to be able to trust God in our life that he's got the best thing for us. Thank you, sir. I got it from here. Thank you. We need to believe that God has the best for us and if we trust him, we can make it and we will grow. You see, mankind cannot choose faith unless God's grace first gives us the freedom of will, which has been bound to sin. And so when we hear the word of God and we choose it, faith takes the word and plants it in our heart and we become a new creation. And now that faith turns into a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So the attribute of faith is it literally becomes a substance on the inside of us that says, I, I have a reason to hope for more in this life. I have an evidence, I have a feeling or an inner knowing that God is real. The same way that I would say faith works is how you work. Think of it like this. You have never met yourself outside of yourself, but yet you know there's a self inside your body. You can't find yourself in your hands. Where's myself at? I hear myself, but I can't see myself. Your body is just a body. It dies, but yourself lives on, right? You know yourself is there, and the world tries to tell you it's just a brain, but you know that brains don't create anything. They just simply are products of instinct. And yet you choose, you act, you desire, 
These things couldn't come just from a brain. It's almost like your brain is a car and you're the one driving it. So you haven't seen the self, but you know you are a self. You're more than instinct and a brain. Well, faith is the exact same way. I haven't met Jesus yet. I haven't shook in his hand, but I know he speaks to me. I know Jesus is alive and resurrected because he walks and talks with me. I don't belong in a mental hospital either. I know God is with me just as much as I know I'm with me. I'm a self. And Jesus taught me to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, with, my, with all myself. Now, what is the necessity of faith? The necessity of faith is that it's impossible to please God without him. And so the word of God says that if you come to God, you first have to believe that he is and that he rewards those that diligently seek him. Now, why is that so important to know the necessity of faith? Because faith is the very thing we're growing and adding. Remember, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Well, did you give yourself your faith? No, your faith came from Jesus, right? It says to those through the righteousness of God, uh, the righteousness of God and Jesus, our Savior Jesus Christ, have received a faith. So you receive a faith. So it's almost like Jesus says, "Here's your faith. Here's the word." Now I want you to add these things to it. Now some of us here, we get confused and we start thinking, well, if God gave me faith and he wants me to add things to faith, well, that must mean now I do stuff without faith in my own human effort. No, the necessity of faith is that we never lose it. So how do I become good? By faith. How do I get to know more about God? By faith. How do I operate in knowledge and self-control? All of those things are the work of faith. Does everybody get that? It's the work of faith. And that's why I have here a little bit of a discussion between Peter, the letter we just read, Peter, with Paul and James. You can look that up. I don't have time to get into that. But good faith always is accompanied with good works. True faith has works. Now, in closing, these are the seven things that you and I must grow in by faith. It's with faith that we've been given these things to begin with. And it's now by putting our faith in God that we can grow in these things. So look at these seven things right here and be honest with yourself and see what do you need to grow in. If you're not a Christian, you can no more do these things than you can lay an egg. To do these things, you first have to become a Christian. Because any good work you do without God is what? A filthy rag. It's a filthy rag according to the Bible. So now as a Christian, do you need to grow in your goodness? I think about how easy it is to be good here, you know, aside from when stuff's breaking down and not working. You got to see a little bit of my impatience here, but it's pretty easy to be good here. You know when it's hard for me to be good on Sundays? Tonight around 9 o'clock when it's bedtime. I've been to two services been here since 8 in the morning, 9 in the morning. Kids will be up, you know, with me this whole time. They'll get a little cranky. Around 9 o'clock, we'll be telling Lucas, go to bed. And if he starts running around with his toothbrush all over the house, ah, right there, I'm going to need to grow in my goodness. I need to act like the person God made me to be. I need to act like that. Knowledge. Grow in knowledge. Who here needs to grow in their knowledge about God? 
so you can know the scriptures. If I said to some of you right here, like, men, let me be a little stereotypical here. If I said to men, how many of you know the starting lineup for your favorite team? You, you know, you'd name them off. Oh, the Cubs got this guy. I can't wait to see him play. And, and, and this person, that person. And then if I said to ladies, tell me where the sale is at this week. Tell me where the sale is online. I hate to be stereotypical, but I have to. Tell me where the sale is at. Everybody would be like, oh, I know where the sale is. DSW's got a sale for shoes. And then this one, you know, Tony was telling me Jerry was shopping for sandals yesterday. Dick's had a sale, right, two for one. Ladies know where they're at, right? Men know their teams. Women know their sales. Now, if you're a man and you know your sales or a woman and you know your team, sorry for being stereotypical, but I'm just trying to give an example. Let me ask you this. Do you know a scripture to encourage you in times of depression? Do you know a scripture to help you win your family to the Lord? Do you know how to have self-control? See, do you have these scriptures already in your heart? Do you have a scripture to fight anxiety, depression, evil thoughts, right? Do you know those things? You need to grow in that. Self-control. Be addicted to nothing on this earth. Be addicted to nothing, not sex, not food, not money, not a career, not your education. Give yourself first to God and let him moderate those other things. How about perseverance? Somebody may say, well, I won't give up on God today, but let me ask you, did he ask you to do a year devotional? You started in January, you quit. Did he ask you to do something with your weight and you quit? Did he ask you to do something in your marriage or with your family? Like we're going to do daily, we're going to do uh, prayers every night, kids, and that only lasted until the second week of January. It may not just be quitting on God, but are you quitting on good things? And how about this one, God-likeness? Do you really believe that you can live like God? That's what godly means, godly. Some of us let that word just slip by us like, oh, man, I'm going to be like Lady gaga E. I'm going to be like Oprah winfrey E. I'm going to be like Donald trump E. I'm going to be like J-Lo-E. No, how about being godly? Godly, godlike, godlikeness. Be perfect for your heavenly Father is perfect. Be holy for I am holy, says the Lord. That's what the Bible teaches us to do. Don't do the things of this world. Do the things of God. Let heaven invade earth. Amen. Mutual affection. How many of you today truly love your brother as yourself? You know, many times we're struggling in this. Maybe you have a customer come to you. Maybe you have somebody mistreat you on your job, a boss. And you think, well, they don't deserve my respect. I shouldn't treat them the way I, I want to be treated because they're not treating me right. No, God didn't say you treat others the way they're treating you. He didn't say treat others the way they deserve to be treated because he would know you would want to slap them upside their head and say they deserve a slap. No, he said treat others the way you want to be treated. And then lastly, follow love. You know, what is love? Love is the attribute of God. Sometimes we just think love is so easy, you know. It's like, oh, that one comes so naturally. But have you ever read the definition of love? I think it comes natural to us, but many times we miss it for the things of this world because we're so caught up in things that are not called love. Open that up. Oh, never mind. I'll go to the scripture here. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. How many of you have heard this before at a wedding? Right? Look at love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always perseveres. Love never fails. One last time. Can you put that up for me, gentlemen? I want you guys to search your heart and look at those seven things right now as we just close our eyes. If you need to look at them, he'll put them up on the screen. 
I already know them, so I'm just going to start praying right now. I want us to be honest with the things that we need to grow in in our life today. Jesus, help us. Show us, God, where we need to change. Look at it if you don't know them. If you already know them, just let the Lord lead you right now. If you are not a Christian, if you have not been born again, ask Jesus into your heart. Repent of your sins. Ask the Holy Spirit to make you new. Ask him to give you a purified soul and a perfect spirit. That's what he does. That's what he makes. Some people say, oh, there's only, the only thing that's perfect is God. That's not true. Angels are perfect. They're spirits. The, the saints in heaven, they're perfect. And right now, your spirit is perfect if you've asked Jesus to come inside of you. Your soul is perfect. If you haven't, repent. Do it now. Do it quickly. Only the spirits of the righteous made perfect can go into heaven. You're not getting led into heaven with an evil soul, an evil, dark, dirty spirit. You can't get into heaven that way. You'll be cast out of his presence. That is what hell is for. And now for the rest of us, you know, I've asked Jesus into my heart uh, 1995, over 20 years ago. The rest of us right now need to be honest and grow up and look at the things that God wants us to do, make every effort to add these things to our faith, and we need to do it. We need to be honest, not just say it, not even just pray about it, but do it. So right now, make up your mind. Talk to the Lord. Let Him speak to you and have Him set you on a righteous path. And remember, you're not making yourself a better person. My son right now is my son whether he acts like it or not. And you are a child of God if you're truly born again, whether you're acting like it or not. And God will be gracious to you and merciful and give you time before he'll treat you as a backslider. As we've learned, those who forsake those things become nearsighted and blind. God will be gracious to you. And he'll say, come on, son, come on, daughter. Grow up. Do these things. Don't forget. I cleansed you from your sins. Don't forget what I've done for you. I don't want to be nearsighted and blind, friend. I don't want after 20 years to forget that Jesus cleansed me from my sins. I don't want to forget those things. I want to stay true with God. I want to grow with God. It's one thing to change a diaper on a baby. It's another thing to do it from a healthy 22-year-old man. Can you imagine the mess? God says it's normal to be a baby Christian when you first get saved, but some of you are still acting like baby Christians, and you've been saved for years. And it's time for you to be honest and say, well, you know what? I've been neglecting these things. I haven't had faith that I'm godly. I haven't had faith to have self-control. And I've been making excuses. I've been thinking that Peter was better than me. And that's why Peter could live so holy. And God is telling you, no, you got the same precious faith as Peter. And if you add to your faith the same things Peter added to his faith, you'll see the same results. You want what Peter had? You want the faith of Peter? Do what Peter did. Come on, saints, keep praying. You seek God as I'm speaking to some some hearts right now. Others of you, you're just ready to pray. Keep praying. Talk to God. Some of you need to hear my voice, though. You want what the physical body of the rock has? Go do what the rock did. Go look at his workout. Eat his diet. You'll get it. It's not that difficult. You want what Peter had? You want to do the things Peter did? Do what Peter told you to do. Peter said, I got faith just like you guys, but here's how I work it out. Here's how I grow with it. Now, you listen to me right here. You can do all that God called you to do just like Peter did all that God called him to do. Peter said, walk on water. Peter could walk on water. If God told you to do that, you could do that. 
But for many of you, what faith is going to look like is you being a good husband or a good wife, a good mom, a good dad, going to your job and loving the people that are there, taking care of your family and doing those things that are good and having self-control and doing it with a purpose beyond just the 70 years of temporary benefit. God will have you and I accomplish our purposes just like he had Peter accomplish his. When these seven things are in our life, would you look up at me now, please, as we get ready to close out together? Remember, growing is knowing and showing. So when we truly know God, we'll grow up and we'll show the world that Jesus lives in us. You should be able to go to my family today and see that God's in my family. You should be able to see that there's something different about us than our next-door neighbors. It's not our house. It's not our clothes. It's not the car we drive. It's the God in us. You should notice something about Ricky and Rachel's marriage that's different than the marriages you see around today. People should see in your life a different kind of you that they can't explain through the world. And that is a showing of what God is doing on the inside. And what is the opposite of that? The opposite of that is hypocrisy. And hypocrisy says, well, nobody's perfect and everybody does their own evil stuff, so I got my junk, you got your junk, so leave me alone. No, that's not what we do. What does it look like tomorrow at your job if you're a true servant of Christ? You repent when you mess up. You, you know, let's say you were asked to do an assignment this weekend, and you come, and the, and the assignment's not done. And they say, man, you were supposed to do this. You don't lie like your coworker and say you were sick. You own up to it and say, boss, I forgot. I forgot. You own up to it, and you get respect on that job for being a Christian. You don't lie. And husbands and wives here, you don't bicker with each other and tell each other how wrong each other is. No, you serve each other, you love each other, and you show how right you are by being humble. Jesus showed us how right he was by being humble. Not by killing all of us. He died on a cross, remember? We put him there. But he showed us how right he was by not fighting back and letting God fight his battles for him. See, the Christianity of the Bible is men and women admitting when they're wrong so that they make Jesus look good on the inside and on the outside, right? And it's like Jesus, Jesus tells me it's okay to say I'm wrong. Jesus tells me it's okay to confess my weaknesses because I don't have to pretend I always live it perfect even though God made me perfect on the inside. I don't have to pretend I always know his will of God, the will of God when he gave me faith because I don't always do those seven things, but I'll show you what it looks like to go after it. Can I get an amen? Let's stand up and give Jesus a hand clap. Let's live it. Let's live it. Altar workers and band, would you come? Would you put up the words to this song? Can we sing as we leave out here today? I know I went a little bit late, but I hope it was worth it for some of you that you would see the word of God today. Brian, would you get in the habit of moving this, please, because they keep forgetting. Thank you. Get this in your mind. I'm new because he made me new. And I'll never be the same again. You're new because he made you new. How many people are new here today? Because he made you new. Can you now live new? Are you a workmanship of God? Are you his masterpiece? You know what the word masterpiece means? A piece that belongs to the master. And in the art world, it's like, oh, Da Vinci, he was a master of art, and that piece was done by him. 
You're God's masterpiece. The master of heaven and earth said, I will make you look like me. When we don't look like him, that's when we repent. Does everybody get that? But when we look like him, the world says, I want him. Put the words up, you're new, I'm new because you made me new, please. We're going to sing this in closing today, and as we get ready to do it, I want you to imagine in your mind, whether you close your eyes or not, it's okay, but just imagine, what does it look like to live the new life as you leave out of here today? What does it look like on your job? What does a new you on your job look like? What does a new you look like in your marriage? What does a new you look like in your family? What does a new you look like in your neighborhood? Come on. And now I just want you to sing this out. I'm new because you made me new. I'm new. It doesn't matter if you can sing well or not. Just sing it today. New because you made me new. I will never be the same. And I'm new because you made me new. I'm new because you made me new. I'm new because you made me new. I will never be the same. A few more times. Come on, I'm new. I'm new because you made me new. I'm new because you made me new. I'm new because you made me new. And I will never be. Sing it for your family today, your, your job. Come on. Sing it for those in your life today. I'm new because you made me new. I'm new because you made me new. Now just the ladies. Ladies, sing it out, ladies. Come on. Come on, ladies. Come on, I want to hear the ladies of the congregation. Come on. Ladies, sing it again. Sing it again. Get some boldness today. Sing it out. Because he made you new. One more time, ladies. Sing it because it's not what magazines say about you. Come on, it's not what the world says about you. It's what God says about you. He made you new and holy, perfect like him. Come on, you share in the divine nature. Now, fellas, come on, sing. Would you close us out in prayer, please? Jesus, thank you, Lord, that you make us new. God, you give us everything we need to live.
of this life and victory and newness, Lord. So I pray for each and every person, Father God, in this room, Lord, and those that didn't uh, have the chance to 